Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Olson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. All right, I, I know that when we had Pete on, I got the intro wrong, but I think I got it right this time. And I'm really super excited, Dave. Well, I hope so, Trigby. This is yeah. a big deal. Yep, yep. Right. So our guest today, one in a long line of young women chosen by fate to battle evil forces. She oh, has been yes. given a mystical calling, which grants her powers that dramatically increases both her physical strength, her endurance, her agility, accelerated he- healing, intuition, and to a certain extent, a limited degree of precognition. I'm not sure we got she, it right. Uh, is a, she is a reluctant hero who just wants to live a normal life, but she is uh, embracing her destiny as well, a vampire. There. Oh, well, no. No. You got that wrong, Mr. Olson. So, is it our, the, Do I have the wrong Buffy? Our Buffy, Buffy Bleasy, oh, is the founder and CEO of Rock What You Got. She's a longtime friend of BusyWeb and of mine. And she is a social enterprise entrepreneur. So if we're looking for a mystical creature killer, she does kill jobs and kills the need for additional business. Like to, she's, she's just a crusher. And every time that I work with or talk to Buffy, she's an amazing talent and has un qualified amounts of energy. And so I think you're going to love our Buffy, Buffy Bleasy of Rock What You Got, much more than any vampire slayers. I was all set to add, I had a whole set of questions about what it was like to work with the bad guy from Ted Lasso, but I'm just going to page turn. Hi, Buffy. Welcome. (laughs) Best intro ever. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody ever introduces me like that. Nobody ever you know, confuses me for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but uh, everybody asks if I am. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Little yeah, known yeah. fact for all the old people on this podcast, um, I'm actually named after another fictional character from really? another TV show from the 60s called Family Affair. Ooh. And little girl Buffy and Jody, her brother and sister, and Uncle Bill and Mr. French. So. That is, uh, my, but you my, have to be a certain age to have any yeah. idea what that's about. <laughs> my, uh, w- when we uh, wanted to name our son, uh, not Dave's and my son, I, that's we, Dave and I have a whole different side family. I don't want to know about that. We talk about that. But um, we wanted to have a unique name, but one that everybody could spell and pronounce. So my son's name is Linus. And we get asked all the time, oh, are you, are you, is he Nick? Where's your blanket? Does he Nate? No, it's not that. No, we just like them. I'm sure he gets it too. It's you at some point in time you just kind of roll with it because people want to yeah. say something. They really do. I can tell when they want to and they just won't. And yeah. and then sometimes they just blurt it right out. And I was like, yeah. You guys both have the good names. My my name, there were five Dave Myers in my high school. What? Yes. That's it's crazy. My, I don't my know name another is one. German Johnson. <laughs> so is it really? But yeah. There's, there's everything. Well, let's yeah. get down to business because Buffy is just one of those people that if you don't know her, you soon will because she's a master networker and she always has new and, and interesting irons in the fire. So Very true. Buffy, why don't you tell us about your favorite things that you're working on right now? I know Rock What You Got and all of the video and audio production things that you're doing right now, but tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So let's start with Rock What You Got. You know, sometimes when you started, my business is 15 years old this year. And I used to have a name for this company that nobody knew because I owned a franchise. And when we changed it to Rock What You Got, it happened over bottomless mimosas. So, you know, (laughs) the old name, nobody really knows. And so just last year, we changed it officially to Rock What You Got. It's been around. And Yeah, we work on a couple of different things. We leverage stage, which I'll talk about, and story, Mm -hmm. which I'll talk about, to drive gender equity. 
And what we're working on right now on the stage is some projects that will put women on a stage, comedy, music, theater, spoken word. Those things kind of go under a moniker we call the pay gap. So we have these um, pay gap shows. And it's not just about pay, but we we do something called edutainment. And so whatever you like, you come and have fun. And while you're there, we'll talk to you a little bit about the crazy things that are still out there related to gender equity issues. So that's our stage work. And we do that under our nonprofit, uh, Rock What You Got Fund. And we also have a brand called Rockstoria Studios. And Rockstoria Studios is a film production company. And we do full service uh, video production, uh, commercial work, little clips, social um, social clips, and some other stuff, podcasts, audiobooks, that kind of stuff. And Rockstory Studio is also a very beautiful studio. And so we let other creative types and community members come in and use the space. And um, that's kind of a fun, fun time. Well, and we're actually one year old. Like That's sort of f- funny. The uh, Rockstory Studios opened yesterday a year ago and uh so we've been one year of a new studio (laughs) it's it's so gorgeous and especially the big studio lighting setup and you the our listeners can't see this but buffy's actually in the podcast egg which is so neat and it's she has way better audio than we do if you you, (laughs) try it's built it's built. We can fix built that for you. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You know, you know that you built my audio system, right? It's. I didn't build your basement. Yeah, you, you, you're the one who picked out all my equipment. That's true. That's true. Well, you have those really lovely soft lounge chairs behind you. That helps with the sound a little bit. I do. It's, well, it's, 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 what wife, it's what my wife refers to as my talk show set. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the interesting words that you use is one is one that I use a lot in how I talk about how I, when people hire me as a speaker, as a trainer, is the concept of edutainment. And I think what's so interesting about the Rock What You Got work that you do is that we're in a culture right now where there is a backlash to any any sort of uh, equity work. Mm -hmm. There is a group of people who think that you can't do any of that if you make anybody else feel bad. Mm-hmm. for for who they are as a person, which in a bell jar, okay, sure, that has some respectable qualities, but on the other hand, no, it really doesn't. So uh, can you... There's something interesting about words that we choose a, a long time, well, a long time ago, when we first started this work four years ago, the word equality was what we were using. And there's a, there's a really big difference between equality and equity. And mm. when we moved to equity, we kind of found a rhythm with it. Equity yeah. really just implies the the same opportunity, right, yeah. to to achieve at the same levels. Not that we are, are ever going to be like equals because opportunity is something people capitalize on. And, you know, when we're edutaining people, we meet them where they are. We put you in an environment that's comfortable for you. You come and you're just there to have fun. Yeah. And while you're there, when we say to you things like, hey, did you know that women couldn't get a credit in their own name for their business until 1988, I think is the date. Like I I had already graduated from high school. Right. So when we hear those things, we can say, oh, wow, I just didn't know. Or even now what's still happening. Um, One of my favorite it's not my favorite story because it's a kind of a terrible story, but it it really helps people understand what the issues are. We work with a very well-known comedian on TV shows, and we had her interviewed once, and she said, I still, my manager gets me headlining gigs around the country. And Every single time she is working on some stuff, they find out that they can't get in to a club because they just had a female headliner two what? months ago. You're kidding. 
And so, yeah, and they will not put all women on stage at the same time. And they, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still these things, even on radio stations about, can you put two female songs together? And we think we joke about those things, but at the same time, they're all stuff we can understand. I yeah. put it in your brain for a second and you start paying attention. When you hear two or three things happen in a row, you're like, ah, oh, change. But the interesting thing is, is almost all our shows that we produce are female led and driven. And people say, oh, so only women come. That isn't the point. Nobody asks me if I go to an all male um, show, why I would dare to go to all male show. That's silly. They never ask us that. And so our goal is just to kind of help people say, hey, you know, if I meet you where you are right now, maybe you will make a choice the next time in your business to hire diversity, to pay equally like you would if the guy showed up that day. Or to even if you see, we we have women, we ask them, what do you want to get paid? And they're always under representing themselves. And we say, that's great, but we're going to pay you this instead. And so we need more people to kind of say, just because we have seen that the whole time, that doesn't mean it has to be like that. So it doesn't have to be adversarial, basically. It can really just be little teeny things. And that's what, that's what's so bewildering about the, the whole backlash to me is that it's not a zero sum game. One group doesn't have to be uh, have, have something taken away for another group to be equal. Like the thing you talked about, about like, and Dave and I both were a little incredulous who on earth keeps track of two, uh, of the, the, the gender of the singer on the radio program managers. Why? That's why, what, what, a, what a waste of time. It seems like it is, but you know, the thing is, is that news media radio stations, they still get, feedback and comments from people. There's, you know, um, before we started, Trigby and I were talking about microphones, right? Mm -hmm. So the microphone is one of the most interesting things. It has not changed since it was designed. It is not designed for a female voice. So the tinning you hear over Mm -hmm. the radio where women, so people will say women's voices great on them on the air. And mm-hmm. part of that isn't them. It is the microphones that are being used and how they capture the tone. The tonal value sound is sort of interesting because it bounces and it comes back to right. people. Yeah. And a microphone is built to take this range. And that range is for the male voice. And so, uh, you know, that's part of why you'll hear some of that stuff that, you know, women's voices sound different to people than men's and there's a comfort level in that doesn't make it right just means we need more engineers to design more things microphones and other equipment for us and they don't that's just fascinating and you know for for all of the media attention that especially gender equity and all of the different things that are that are happening kind of in our society right now with the backlash that I think Trigvi pointed out. You know, we're very lucky to be in a very progressive state. We're in Minnesota where we're recording. It's not the same story everywhere. And yeah. so, you know, especially on edutainment and as you're as you're speaking with folks and and having that through the nonprofit, through Rock, Rock What You Got, how do you handle the folks that are getting more and more vocal? with their side of the story. Yeah, it it it's sort of interesting. I mean, we haven't had a lot of pushback on the work we do. Maybe all those mm-hmm. years of hyper-focusing your target market has, sure. yeah. has been helpful. Uh, people mm-hmm. who come to our events, even if they're not all the way there, they're not progressively active in gender equity issues, they, they okay. typically tend to be a little more in tune with the things that are there, but Mm -hmm. we talk about it all the time as much. So one of our, you know, here we do work on stage that, that can be very much a blend of, of women and men, but behind the scenes, the people who do stage work, sound engineer, lighting, design, 
the stage management piece, almost entirely men. We are a full female crew. Same thing on our Rockstoria brand of video production. We're claiming it. Nobody's claimed it. We're going to claim it. We're the first all-female crew in Minnesota. And if somebody else has one, they can come and talk to us. We're happy to to share in their, their joy too, because it's very unusual. I'm sure you guys have been behind the camera in interviews before. It is mm-hmm. almost entirely men. And yep. so some of this is really about being able to show what it looks like. And, and so the hard part is if there already isn't a whole lot of women in it, there mm-hmm. likely isn't a diverse set of women in it either. So, right. so back to your question about, you know, what do you do about that? We also, our Rockstaria brand, we have to do more and better to get our information out in front of a broader, diverse group of women to show them, hey, you know, you could be in this and we would love to have you be a part of that. And so in the Rock What You Got Fun, we have a whole educational component that we're working on with different colleges like Century College to get in front of more women and show them that it's there. And that means working harder to mm-hmm. attract and engage and, and welcome a bigger, diverse population. Of women. So that'll help us be able to stand out and, and push back more too, because at the end of the day, we're currently mo- all white on our team. And that isn't our place either to, to push back. We, we're here to right. be allies and, and advocates. Right. Well, and, and it's about diverse voices. And it, we, we actually had a, had a podcast about gender equality and diversity. But I think the, the coolest part is inside of gender equity and inclusion and diversity, the thing that we're doing isn't necessarily or only helping people of that gender or that ethnic background. We're helping all of us because anytime a voice isn't able to be heard, you're missing out on that perspective. You're missing out on that experience. You're missing out on all of the talents that you're just missing. And right. just like you said before with the microphones, is there should be a broader range of audio available and it's dumb that you can only hear big men, male voices. Right. Yeah. I think I, part of you that know. Is, is a maturation effect too. I think one of the things you see, right. uh, especially with social media algorithms right now, is there's this continued silo effect that if you don't look at the world around you, you end up only seeing the things that you want to see. Yeah. And in our subconscious, I mean, clearly I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, our brains are really good at compartmentalizing things to make us comfortable as mm-hmm. humans. And and when we're in our comfort zone, it it's easy for us to check our boxes, to check things off our list, to get things done. As soon as we mix in something that makes us uncomfortable and we don't know what to do, we basically run away from it. And what we're asking everybody to do right now is to embrace that a little bit and say, yeah, I, I'm uncomfortable because I spent my 55 years being indoctrinated in my own world, right? And I got to untrain that. And that process is going to make me feel weird. And that is okay. Um, we've asked other people to feel uncomfortable for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's okay if we are too, you know, and even more so than that. I love that. And the, the this is uh, part- not your first career. no. <laughs> No, it's not even my first career as a business owner. It's it's sort of a crazy thing. I I I've was at an event last night. We were talking a little bit about this too, how you know, 50 even 40 years ago, 30 years ago, it was it was still okay. Or still maybe the word is expected that you would pick a career, get into it, still stay at that place for at least a while, 10, 20 years. I even stayed at a bank. I was a banker. I I tell people recovering banker. I worked in the financial services industry and brokerage firms and Wall Street firms. And I also consulted to them. That, I mean, back a little 
you know, gender equity thing, I was almost always the only woman. Cause I didn't work at a branch. So you'll know at banks, there's, they're very distinguishing between do you work at a branch and do retail work or do you work in corporate? And I always worked in corporate and that was a little different. Um, so yeah, I've had a lot of different careers, but I think telling people that it's okay to sort of pick something and try it for a while and, and get really good at it, maybe, and and be okay with starting over. Um, that's that's really hard, and it takes a little bit of risk tolerance to do that. And, and back to our brains, um, we like to be comfortable. Risk tolerance requires you to to step outside and be and be a novice again instead of an expert. And we kind of like to be experts as people. So, I talk a little bit more about the risk tolerance because I think that oh, yeah. a lot of people have think that their their skill set only allows them to do one thing one or two things yeah so when and i used to be i used to have a very low risk tolerance so what that basically means is you know how much risk are you willing to take in decision making to make something happen for you right so our first shot at i mean not first but it's something we a lot of us understand is going to college do you choose to go to someplace close to your home or do you choose to go someplace across the country or maybe even into another country, right? That's where your risk tolerance lies is really about your comfort in making and choosing something that might not turn out the way you need. You have to sacrifice more to get more on it. And we do that in our careers too. We we choose something. Um, I'll pick on my accounting friends. We We choose accounting because literally one of the most safest jobs. You will always get another job if you go into the accounting field. And I kind of went that direction too. So if you're out there and you're thinking about doing something different, taking a risk on a new product or service, mine right now, I am in the most uncomfortable stage of my business career of all the things I've ever done. Why? even though I've been in business 15 years, the pandemic really required, you know, I I just got done talking about all the stage work we did, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't do any of it. My large three quarters of our revenue died in March, 2020. And it has not come back at all. It was a big festival that I owned and I still own. I just haven't done it because it takes more than a year to plan and a lot of money. To do what was the what was the fact you don't it was know the Twin Cities Women's Expo. I bought it. Oh, into, yeah. This is how I got into this crazy stage business yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Um, I was doing some event management for a nonprofit and and ended up purchasing this and revamping it. This is sort of my journey of really loving women and finding more ways for them to gain access to things for their very multi faceted, multidimensional lives as opposed to, hey, I'm just a shopper. Or I like, you know, sort of the stereotypical things. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. I once, I, I, once uh, I gave a, a, a talk about email marketing at an all-women's conference. So it was me and 350 women. Yeah. Awesome, and right? I, I, I remember <laughs> my open, opening joke for my, my talk, which was a good one, which is, you know, this is a unique experience for me and I'm really excited to learn and, and just... Uh, listen more than I talk, but I do want to talk a little bit, and I want to thank uh, the women who sat at my table for lunch. Who, um, you know, thank you for letting me know that uh, the salad was uh, lunch and it was not the the first course. So thank you for that. So I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have I have I have feelings about lunches at big events since I'm an event planner too. <laughs> uh, well, never yeah. ever leave them starving, even if they're women. <laughs> So no salads. <laughs> Give them something good. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the worst thing in the world is having a, a heavy lunch at, a, at an event because then you just want to, and, and uh, it drives me nuts when I get booked right after lunch at, a, at a, like a conference or something because everybody's going to be sleeping and checking their email. Yeah. Yes. It's, not a, it's not a great time slot for sure. Well, Buffy, one of the things that I think we've been hitting and and kind of tap dancing around is one of your career specialties, and that's the art of pivoting. So you've you've gone through a number of 
big changes in your career. And one of the things that we just talked about was having the ability to be okay when things are a little uncertain. How do you foster that in yourself, in your team, and you know, for our audience? How can they be better at just kind of going to where the puck is going to be instead of just sitting there and waiting for the world to pass them by? It takes a great deal of, I'll say self-confidence. I don't know that I mean that. Trusting mm-hmm. yourself is sure. what mm-hmm. I can say. I mean, sometimes I make decisions and I know they might seem absolutely off the wall to some people, whether it's, you know, taking on uh, as a business owner, maybe it's taking on debt, maybe it's completely shifting or getting off of a product or service that you used to do and you, and can still feed you and, or it's hiring your first people or that person who's, who's more expensive than anybody yourself. And mm-hmm. you add them to your team or you have to make payroll and you will do absolutely anything to get that ha- to happen. And that requires you to be very sure that you have the ability to get to where you really want to get in the, in the future. And that isn't easy. Uh, obviously, we all second guess ourselves. And none of, none of this supersedes the fact that you make the wrong decisions along the way. I've made mm-hmm. plenty of those. But I always, and I still say this, even though times of like, even we're one year into our new business model and I feel like Mm -hmm. a startup and I absolutely hate it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when you start something up, it's typically just you. I have a team of five people that I am feeding every day. And, you know, so that, that managing my risk tolerance with this really surety that the work that we're doing is, is, is important that we can make a living at it and Mm -hmm. that we're confident along the way, even in those little things, even when the team can recognize the stress of that, I have to balance their need for stability and their risk tolerance with mine, which is much higher than theirs. But I'm also the one taking on a hundred percent of the financial risk. And I would say to people that might be the one place where most of us falter. When we're thinking about how are we going to live if something happens to us, whether we're laid Mm -hmm. off or we choose this leap to entrepreneurship and we're asking people to support us, that is, you know, that weighing that risk is really important. And you have to trust that you have the ability to, to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I think the second piece of that is you got to have a, a good crew of people outside your business who understand what it is you do. And that means another entrepreneur or two or three or 10 or a hundred because nobody, I mean, both of you guys have been entrepreneurs and are entrepreneurs. You understand this. Nobody, your friends, like their eyes glaze over, like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? I don't understand it. They're like, oh, that sounds really hard. And then they're on to something else. I have have especially one person in my life who is absolutely stellar in talking me off the, the wall, you know, <laughs> and and putting things into perspective and telling me honestly, like maybe there's some shifts here, but also saying you got this and you can do it. Just keep pushing right through. And that's um There is no plan B for me. I would tell everybody if this is an advice column here, do not have a plan B. If you have a plan B, just do plan B because that's really A and I've never had a plan B, but I've shifted my business significantly from being a business coach, which is where I started to running a, a, a film studio, a video production company. I do not do video. Like that's not my, and, that, and talk about risk tolerance that I hired for that. I, it, we tripped into it because of the pandemic, that big pivot, not doing stage work to having to, to come up with ways to, to reach an audience and to make a living. It required me to really go out on the ledge and hire incredibly talented people who are very expensive and mm-hmm. taking that risk to do it. And so, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm confident 
that we are on the right track, that we're doing the right work, that my team is phenomenal. But I also, every day I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? And um, if we need to do another slight pivot, we will, we'll do it because I'm my, my, this isn't my story. It's not the end of the story, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, and I, and I don't want to assume. So I want to, I want to ask when you make big changes and when you're pivoting like this, you're not just going by the hip and saying, oh yeah, well, I guess I'm going to get into video production now. That sounds like fun. You do the homework and you have a plan before you go in, right? So mitigating so, risk, one of your talents. <laughs> what, am, what are you telling me, Bobby? <laughs> uh, well, I, here's what I would say. Um, my planning, you know, even with all my financial background, I'm kind of a little bit of a savant with the numbers. I, I think mm. about things in my brain first. But I like to begin with the end in mind. I don't, I don't, I don't have big, long, big, giant budgets. Even when I was a business coach, I did coach people to do it. I did it for them, mm-hmm. but I don't. Um, I, I am very pliable with things. I am very much a let A B testing kind of gal. Like mm-hmm. if I want to test a couple of things, I want to test it. That's uncomfortable for people though. So we might well, test some pricing, we might far. test some products. But but if you spend too much time developing all that stuff and it's not right, you've wasted it. So I kind of have this mix of of really looking at how I might purchase something and mm-hmm. use it and trying to in my years, I've coached more than 300 businesses. So I'm some of this anecdotal. So the answer, Dave, is unfortunately, I'm not a big huge, I don't have a big project plan that's uh-huh. that's got this whole thing laid out. Um, I have big buckets. Um, Rock mm-hmm. Story Studios has another, you know, very traditional commercial video production, but we have a another little product called Love Letters Films, and it's it's live streaming to the funeral home industry, and and we've done some research on it, but we don't have this big plan. What we know is everybody dies, and what we also know is there's not enough care and feeding of the people who are responsible for capturing those moments of somebody who is really important to you. And we don't um, have enough infrastructure to capture that. So we, we do it. I I could call it live streaming. We don't, that's not really what it is, but when somebody passes, their life means something. And we want to make sure that in the moment we can be there to get those elements for them. So that product, I, I have big dreams for it. It could be national. We can do this from our studio, which is what I'm going to do today later. And um, and then we can package it in a way that makes sense for the families later. And and so, I, I you know I don't know. I, I maybe most people would want me to have a bigger plan, but I I I don't know. That product doesn't exist right now. If you want to live stream or capture a funeral, you got to hire a crew, which you can do, us, and we have to get a bunch of stuff together and go there in an element. We don't have any idea about, we don't know the lighting. We don't know the sound. We don't know anything. And it's not, it's expensive because we have to overdo it to get something. So, yeah. I have a couple couple of questions based on some of the things you you said, Buffy. I think uh, to start with, uh, you used a really technical term that is used in production and uh, I'm well familiar with it, but I want it for the listener's sake. I want to, have you explained what is A-B testing? Oh, yeah. You guys probably know that more than me. Oh, yeah. Your no, web development yeah, stuff. I, I mean, and that's not me being funny. I genuinely yeah, no, know what um, it is. But I, I think for those people who yeah, I think it's a great level, what, what is A-B testing? You know, A-B testing is taking two things primarily and trying it out in, in different ways, whether it's a different group of, of – in email – that's primarily used like a different subject matter or a different group of lists. You see whether or not people are excited about something or not. They click on it. They do it. Um, I look at it. My A-B testing is if I say, here's a package. Here's how it's packaged. At the end of the day, you pay the same, right? Like it doesn't matter. But how do people feel about it? And you can try it out. And sometimes people surprise you. Something really boring catches their eye. Or sometimes you just... You can get snarky and and c- clever 
And that's the thing that catches people's eye. And you don't know until you test it. The story that I give about that is that when I got married, we invited a whole bunch of people. And a lot of people we invited because we had to. We wanted, no, no, let me say that again. We invited a lot of people because we wanted them to be there. And then we invited a lot of people because we knew they wouldn't come and buy really awesome gifts. And a good portion of the people that we wanted to come didn't come. And then a lot of the people who didn't, we didn't want to come but send a gift actually did show up. And so that's the A-B testing model is figuring out, you know, I have good intentions for this group and this group, what actually happens in, in, in real life. The, yeah. the second question I wanted to ask, because uh, you, you had sort of a jaw drop and uh, gender neutral mic drop moment, which was about how you're servicing the funeral industry now. And was that one of the things that came out of your pandemic pivot? Because I, I think that's genius. It is because all of us experienced some kind of death during that time frame and weren't allowed to participate in the same ways we always had. Now, the interesting thing is, is, is years ago, I, all, I have always had this idea that funerals were broken. We do them that way, whatever it is, whatever your tradition is, whether it's a religious tradition or, or something else. And we just, we just do it that way. And there's a speed method to it. How fast can we push people through this? From And some of that was is built, I mean, there are traditions in the Muslim community and the Jewish community where that speed is part of their religion. Like, how fast can we get you through it? And I think we just, I've always just said, I, I don't understand that. Not everybody is loved, Right. But let's assume most of us are, and we are on this planet for a certain amount of time. And mm-hmm. what just makes me crazy is that we will spend more time, energy, and money on a wedding that has a 50% chance of not making it. And we spend nothing on somebody's life in mm-hmm. time, energy, and finances. Like we're literally scraping the barrel. Can we, can we, what can we get rid of so we can get this funeral done in this little piece? And I, I'm super passionate about this, but it just drives me crazy. And so we got into this, we were already live streaming stuff and we're, and then people asked us, I went to a few, I actually participated in a funeral of a friend who was also in the business. So I was there as just as a crew member to help and realize that we could do this. We could do it affordably. We could do it expeditiously and Mm -hmm. we could fit the needs back to my gender thing. Women primarily do most of this heavy lifting Mm -hmm. of funerals, the emotional lifting and the actual planning pieces. And could we make it better and easier for them to be able to go back later when they're ready to actually participate in that event that they were rushed through to begin with. There's also a big tech project in this Love Letters films that we haven't launched that I that that is but it's a documentaries of life project where we okay. could actually go even further and actually create a real documentary with voiceover and interviews for your loved one and then have this big you know film party, you know, mm-hmm. in a movie theater maybe or in your home or whatever else. So Anyway, I'm super passionate about it. We do not spend at Rockstory Studios and Rock What You Got. We're not spending enough time on that. We'll be in the next year. But I will say the funeral home industry moves at the slowest speed of any industry in the entire planet. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to miss any kind of time frame. And telling everybody on this podcast we're doing it isn't going to get a bunch of people to go do it. Uh, (laughs) What makes it affordable to us is we can switch. We have a a broadcast level switching. Switching is moving cameras around and putting like the newscast does. Yeah. We have newscast level um, software. We can do it from here, anywhere in the world. And we install all the equipment in the funeral home so we never have to put things in and out. And that's where why, why we can make it affordable for people. Because if mm-hmm. I have to send a three-person crew, I need four hours. And then there's all sorts of things go bad, <laughs> as people oh, find out. Yeah. So. I think that's amazing because uh, Dave and I recently went to a, a funeral because, you know, I'm in, I, I'm in the industry. One of the things that I was 
awestruck. It was the first time I'd been at a funeral in a, 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 a long, long-ish time, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly since the pandemic. And what was notable, one of the things that was notable to me was that the AV in the room was at a different level than I had experienced before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, it's notable on, on the one hand, but on the other hand, what a great gift that these people are giving the bereaved because it's more, it, you, you can have a higher level of remembrance and a higher right. level of nuance and a higher level of subtlety to make the uh, celebration unique for the person who you're, you're celebrating. Yeah. It was really, it was, it was really something else. And the issue, the, the bigger issue too, is that we're, we're on this planet. We meet thousands of people along the way during that time frame, Some of them becomes very, very close to us and they're not family. And our family does not know them. In some cases, those people love us more than our family does. And they yeah. do not get to participate at the same level. Especially and that is what I'm keeping my eye on. World, right? um, yeah. You know, if you're, it, they don't ask you, can you attend? If you cannot attend a funeral, we even say the live streaming doesn't matter because if they can't attend, they might not be able to come at that time either. So that's right. not what's important. What's really important is the experience that they could have as part of being part of something. So mm-hmm. we can bring in speakers. We can, from all over the world, we can we can mix it into something else. We can create an experience for people, interactive experience. Anyway, it's all it's all just um, a, an open way of how we w- how we participate as humans after the pandemic. And and actually, this existed before, right? Like people getting on planes or can't make it or they got to work and mm-hmm. not be able to be a part of something has always been real. I had a, a cousin that I had uh, fallen out of sorts with, and we weren't really close, but we we knew each other to, to to talk. And she passed away during the pandemic due to COVID. And at the end, uh, she didn't want anybody to know because she was terribly embarrassed that she didn't get the shots, and it was uh, she had a lot of regret. And I can remember I I, I I sat through the live stream of the funeral, and I felt I felt bad for my thing that I had never reconciled with her, but I was so moved by the fact that she had such a community that I didn't I didn't know anything about that she really yeah. was loved. And that was a great help and closure for me just because of something as simple as a live stream. Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry, Dave, you had a question. No, I I was I was just uh, adding adding on and that this is truly a the the more like virtual our world becomes the more apparent it becomes that this is this is a real service that people really need and it's people are doing it kind of already and my uh i had a uncle that passed away in covid not of covid but from cancer and of course we couldn't have a service and it was in california and we were in minnesota and they just did a facebook live yeah. over it where somebody was hanging onto the hanging onto their phone and at one point it got dropped and you know you could hear somebody <laughs> coughing in the background yeah. and all that but you know to do a real service to the memory of that person yeah. is incredibly important and yeah. man with this this just it goes right back to our theme right of, yeah and it kind of brings us to a topic the diy crowd mm-hmm. i mean you guys mm-hmm. do professional services i do professional services there's always mm-hmm. a diy crowd sometimes and there are tech companies doing pretty phenomenal things with video and and you know you get out your camera the quality is really great what they haven't been able to fix is sound which mm-hmm. we started with right yeah. having really terrific sound come out of your video is and match it up with your mouth and being able to sort of correct those qualities that you know create um, yes. the difference between something that's professional level done mm-hmm. and something that looks like you're you're in your basement doing your stuff matters sometimes that's what you want like this very authentic I'm hey I'm hanging out kind of thing but if you're in business and you're at a certain level sometimes you really literally have to tell yourself this next phase of our business needs to be and look professional. 
We can still have fun with it. We can still get that authentic thing, but we must spend some money on it because that comes out in the quality of what other people think about us too. And so AI is a thing. Um, there's the, there's some really great companies doing this video stuff like, Hey, here's your teleprompter. Just type your stuff in and, and do it. It's, it's good, but it's not the same. And so there's still places for all of us to, to -hmm. recognize that the work we do and the services we provide are, are important. You guys need to get an AI person on one of these podcasts. We, we have, we, we, Uh. we, we have uh, several robots that, that, uh, help (laughs) in, in our daily life. We, uh, um, we hired a, a project manager who was probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And then uh, he was. We took him to meetings, and we realized he couldn't take notes to save his life. Like he didn't and, know how to type. He yeah, he just. Type. He just and, and so we got one of the first AI robots to help take notes and transcribe meetings, which has been invaluable to our business. And then he quit like a month later, but we still have the robot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's, there's great, I, you know, helping people decide when it makes sense. And, we, and we'll look, we're, you know, we have robotic cameras, and we can set them mm-hmm. up and, you know, get and activate them remotely. And that helps save us time too. And there's, there's some really great business benefits to a lot of it. I, I think mm-hmm. our next phase of business for those of us that do services for people is to figure out how we can continue to add value and still be profitable mm-hmm. in in subsetting the things that really we shouldn't we don't need to do it it and nobody wants to do it anyway and and so um, I, I don't know I don't know what all the answer is but I I think we're we're on this trip to figure it out yeah for sure. Yeah. I think if I can make a gender-based comment, I think that as we're talking about the 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 funeral part of your live streaming business, is I think that's something that has to be delivered with a certain amount of nuance and subtlety that I don't know that you know a, a man can necessarily get to because then you get to the immediate. Well, what do you mean you're trying to profit yeah. over uh, over my dad's funeral? Like, no, 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 it's not what we're talking about. It's making yeah. it open and making it and making it available to everyone, which ironically, yeah. which yeah, ironically is whole- part of your overall nonprofit mission is it's, you're not making it equal. You're making, you're giving the opportunity to everyone. Yeah. It's, we could have a whole podcast just on, we did on ours. We, so I have a podcast called, we're going to talk about it. If anybody wants to go I love listen it. to it, it's yes. very fabulous. But hey, we plug, had a funeral home. Uh, people, we talked about green burials. We talked, I mean, just a very, all the changes that are happening in there, but ultimately funeral homes are still very paper-based. They sit down with a family with a folder and they literally go through it. Right. And um, because that personal, you know, they're sort of meeting people in this place, making it very simple still. And uh, you know, there are definitely tech companies trying to move them across the line, but it's it's very yeah. it's very hard, including us. <laughs> can, whole, uh, we can't I, talk any tech. We just say, "Hey, at the end of the day, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. You'll have this nice little years and years ago, years ago probably, probably thirty some odd years ago. I was a teenager, and my uh, my my great uncle Carl uh, drove his car into a tree, and he was in the hospital. He was a big, giant, burly man. And um, he ended up passing away. And I can remember my grandmother, who was probably in her 80s at the time, took her sister, who was Carl's wife, to the funeral home. And they did the uh, arrangements. And um, there was, you know, okay, well, here's the price for the urn. And they said, well, that's ridiculous. We're not paying that. So the two of them got in, uh, took the bus from Brooklyn Center, which is a suburb north of Minneapolis, down to downtown Minneapolis. And they went to uh, uh, the department store down there and they got a vase. And they're going to put Carl in the vase. They took the vase home, nice, beautiful vase that they, they got. Uh, and then they got Carl. Carl came home in the box and they poured, um, they started pouring it into to the, uh, the vase. And the most important detail I told you at the beginning which was he was a big burly man. They ran out. There, the vase was not big enough. They still had more Carl. So instead of getting a second vase, what they did is they poured Carl back in the box and then washed the box out, 
and then took the vase home. So I've always been comforted by the fact that somewhere, a very nice home in a very rich part of town is a little bit of my Uncle Carl. (laughs) (laughs) A little more of Carl. (laughs) So I want to wrap up, but this has been a a fascinating topic. So podcast, video, nonprofit, equity and inclusion, a a four-time reinvention queen. Uh, I'll ask you the Bob Seeger question, Buffy, is... What do you wish that you didn't know now that you didn't know then? Oh, I don't know if we have enough time for all of this stuff. I <laughs> wish I knew that I I know now you that know I didn't know that. I, w- I will say this: I think the biggest the biggest thing is that I wish what I know now is that risk taking and making shifts when you just don't know what's going to happen. Um can be life-changing in a really good way. And that I wish I would have done a little bit more of that earlier, as opposed to taking the very straight and narrow path that I originally took for 20 years. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, being, being in this business, but, but even shifting my current business faster. So, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, there's a lot of stuff I could and should have done differently. One of them was, um, maybe not by a franchise, but I, I never would have gotten to quote to, to coach, you know, almost 300 people. And my last coaching client uh, just sold her business for multiple, multiple times what it was when I first started working with her forever ago. So I don't know. Things happen and we make choices and we just have to live with it. But I tell everybody, make those changes faster. <laughs> Pivot yes. fast. I love it. Thank you. Buffy, we always like to end on uh, giving you as many cheap po- uh, plugs as you want. So where can people find you? Where can people find your yeah. podcast? Where can We're people find ever, the, the Buffy the free, the, So the big, big Buffy stuff, the thing, rockwhatyougotlive.com is our corporate and all of our stuff is on there. But mm-hmm. hey, there's a lot of businesses on here and you need video. If you're not doing video, you should contact me at rockstoriastudios.com. And then if you are lucky enough to be t- in the death industry, you can reach us at loveletterspelms.com. Ultimately, Buffy at rockwhatyougotlive.com is my email and anybody can contact me. Thank you, Buffy. I'm easy to find. Google. I'm on the first five pages, Buffy Blazy. You can't, I, nobody's going to supersede my Google search. <laughs> There's only one. Thank you.